Hey, well, welcome to Homecoming Sunday. It's good to be together. And as we have said so many times, as we have merged from uh, COVID uh, pandemic, we, uh, we have said that we are emerging and it, we never will ever, ever, ever take for granted our uh, coming together again. So this is Homecoming, and we uh, have um, had as a theme for, uh, for Homecoming uh, welcome back. We've been welcoming back for uh, many weeks now, and we, uh, we certainly want, uh, want that to continue, and we celebrate that today. We'll look forward to a lot of good activities uh, later, but for right now, we, uh, we focus on some important things that uh, really uh, need to strike home for us as it relates to uh, discipleship. And pointedly, us taking on the mantle of discipling other people. We have been, over these past couple of weeks, uh, talking about discipleship and what it means to make disciples and how Christ calls us and commissions each and every one of us to make disciples. So on this uh, homecoming Sunday, this Sunday where we welcome everybody back, we, uh, we find ourselves focusing on the very thing that Jesus would have us to focus on, and that's the making of disciples. So I'd prayed for Homecoming Sunday, and as you know, we've got a lot of uh, outdoor things going on a little bit later in the day. I'd prayed for cool, dry, and partly cloudy. So I got two out of three. If I was a Major League Baseball player, I would be in the Hall of Fame, batting 667, if, if you will. So uh, if you're going to be cool, you'll need to be inside today. And you have that choice. You also have the opportunity to be, uh, to be outside as well. A lot of things going on. You know, we, uh, in thinking about this cool, dry, and partly cloudy, uh, it may be that today uh, you will need a Gatorade. And when I think of Gatorade, I remember that, uh, that uh, ad campaign many years ago, back when Michael Jordan was uh, at his heyday. Uh, Gatorade had coined the phrase, be like Mike. Be like Mike. Let's, uh, let's look at this just real quickly, a snatch from that uh, ad campaign, being like Mike, knowing that it is important for us to exude a certain, uh, a certain persona, not of ourselves, but of Christ in us and Christ working through us. So be like Mike from years ago and a little bit of Gatorade. What do you say? Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move, I move, I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, oh, if I could be like Mike, like Mike. If I could be like Mike, be like Mike, be like Mike, be like Mike. Yeah, I try, just need to fly. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be like Mike. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike, oh. be like Mike, like Mike. 
Well, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here this morning, but when it comes to being like Mike in basketball, it's not going to happen. We can get close, <laughs> but it's just not going to happen. But we, uh, we hear that uh, phrase, be like Mike, and we consider very deeply, uh, considering things spiritually, how might we be like Christ? And how is it that Christ is helping us to be like Him? It's an important consideration as we consider what it means to make disciples. For if we are to make disciples, indeed we will, uh, we will need to take on those attributes, those characteristics that are like Christ. And in that, we'll have that sort of winsome and infectious uh, air about us to where people will be drawn, be, be inquisitive, will be curious of what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And so we, um, we ask ourselves today, I think, a very serious question. Who was it that won you to the faith? Who was it that drew you to, to a deeper understanding of Jesus? I got a feeling that that person lived a life that was worth imitating. I got a, I got a feeling that, that that person's life was was a life that was worth following. And so when we consider that, and each of us taking on the mantle of making disciples, it's important for us then to uh, to consider how our lives might be worth imitating how our lives might be those who are worth following, those characteristics that are so important, characteristics that really are beyond ourselves, save for the work of Jesus in us and through us. Last week, uh, for those of you who are with us, we, uh, we talked from that great, uh, that great passage from uh, Colossians, the, the third chapter, verses 12 and following. Uh, you want to get that out later today, uh, read that again talking about those uh, great characteristics, those characteristics that are worth imitating, those characteristics that are worth following, having compassion, kindness, humility, uh, having a, a, a meekness around people, really um, considering the needs of others is better than, than yourself, of, uh, of forbearing one another, being patient, of uh, forgiving one another, and oh yeah, above all these things, put on love. And then we, uh, we know that, that Paul writes these words and gives us these uh, great characteristics from, uh, from Colossians, the third chapter. We also know that uh, Paul uh, gives us a, what I think is another great list of those characteristics where we might aspire to be more and more like Christ where we may open ourselves more and more to where Christ is working in us and through us so that we might live that life worth imitating, that life worth following. So we turn to um, Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 9 through uh, 13. Uh, we read this, that uh, love must be sincere, Paul writes, uh, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, Nev never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. 
Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Wonderful characteristics to which all of us need to aspire. But it's not just a matter of aspiration. It is a matter of Christ working deep within and making these things possible in, in our lives. And then for our passage today, we, um, we find Paul getting right to it. In, in Philippians 2, uh, verse 5, Paul says, Have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he goes on to, to talk about the wonderful things that Jesus did of, of emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, being obedient even to the point of death, and then God exalting him and raising him uh, to, uh, to be, uh, be above all whether it be below the earth or on the earth or above the earth. Have the same mind that was in Jesus. But just proceeding, uh, he, um, Paul does, he, he, he writes again about some important characteristics to which we would do well to, to aspire. Uh, those characteristics uh, that uh, he looks to form in us as we seek to, to follow a life that is worth imitating the greatest life ever lived, and it would be Jesus. Hear this from uh, Philippians 2, 1 through, through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any compassion uh, from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the, the same love, being one in the Spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, counting others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of other people. In a word, that's what it means to be like Christ. That's what it means to be like Christ. Christ, to give ourselves over to Him, and in giving ourselves over to Him, we find ourselves filled to the overflowing, and we begin to exude the very light and spirit of Christ for our lives, living a life that is worth following. It's what we're called to do, and it becomes the very key to being Christ's disciple it also becomes the very key of what it means to stand before others, to be with others, to be in relationship with them, to make disciples. So let's consider these great characteristics, and may we find ourselves open to the very draw and call of God's Son for our lives, to be commissioned to make disciples, to live lives that are worth imitating lives that are worth following. So it comes to us. A lot is laid upon us, and Ashley's got a few things to say about that. So when we look at Scripture and we see how Jesus interacted with His disciples, and then we read Scripture, and we look throughout discipleship and what that means, we see that there is a process that forms. And don't worry, I'm not going to make this very ABC or 123 because discipleship does not fit into a box. But there are parts that make up discipleship. My part, 
their part and God's part. And so I'm going to kick it off. Tom and I are going to talk about these parts, and the first part is my part. And I could go a lot of different directions with my part and how that looks and God's plan for his disciples. But I'm going to talk about two specific ways, growth of ourselves and growth of others. Now, when we think about this process and we think about the growth, there are stages that we go through in spiritual maturity and how we become more Christ-like, how we, in order to follow Christ, we have to take on Christ-likeness and become more and more like Him. And when we do that, we grow through these stages. And so I'm going to very quickly, you may feel like you're drinking with a water hose, go through these stages for you so that, and you may have already heard them, they've been around for a really long time, but I just wanted to run through them quickly so that you could identify not only maybe where you are, but with the people that you're discipling, with the people who come in your life as you're talking about Christ and what He has done in your own life. So the first one is spiritually dead, and this is exactly what it is, spiritually dead. You're still in the grave. You don't know Jesus. You haven't accepted him as your Savior. Or maybe you do, and you're not experiencing the fruits. You don't feel, truly feel alive just yet. This is when you have not experienced Jesus' transformation in your heart, and you don't feel alive. You may think you do. We do have several people out in this world that believe they are Christians. And then it comes to a revelation and they go, you know what? I think I've been missing it this entire time. I've never felt this feeling before. You just know when you've stepped out of the grave, you've risen up and you have accepted Jesus and you know the life that he offers you. The second one is infant. Now we read in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, when the author tells us that you live on milk, but you really need to live on food alone. And so in the infant stage, that's kind of where they are. They've just experienced this great life, this life-giving experience of Jesus in their um, hearts, and they're seeking knowledge. And they may think they know a lot of things, but they're still asking a whole lot of questions. And questions are fine, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You want to ask questions. But sometimes their knowledge is more world-shaped than it is Jesus-shaped. So the third phase is child. Now, children, they are grown. They have some knowledge, but they still are very dependent. And this is really characteristic. I'm struggling today. It's because I'm so excited. That's what it is. They are categorized as being more self-centered. They are looking to other people, to the church, to the pastors, to the programs, to meet their needs, to meet their desires, to meet their interests. And there's a very self-centeredness to the knowledge that they do have and how they are continuing to grow. And then whenever they keep on going and we go to the next stage, we go into the young adult stage. Now this is where um, the shift happens of going from self-centered into God-centered and other-centered. They understand it's more about giving than taking, applying to word, the word to every part of their lives so they can truly see what God is saying to them and how they are to live out this wonderful experience that they are, are, are learning about Jesus and who he is and how they can live like him in every single part of their life. They're serving, they're learning, and they're participating in the great work of the kingdom with God. And then the fifth and final stage is parent. If you believe that you fall in this parent, this spiritually mature um, stage, then there's one question you should ask yourself. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling right now? And you should have names. You should have relationships that you think of. These are the people who have a solid understanding of God's word, a deep and abiding relationship with God, and they want to help others 
raise up as disciples in Christ. Now, when we look at these stages, we're probably thinking, okay, well, how long do we stay in each one? What's the, what's the criteria to get from one to the other? But it's not simply about time. You, I mean, there could be a Christian who's been a Christian for a few years already at the parent level. Or there could be Christians that have been in Christianity and served in church, done a lot of things, but still be children. This isn't about necessarily a time or a criteria. It's about the effort, about the time that we put in, about the growth that we experience through the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does through us so that we can grow. We can gain that wisdom. We can gain that experience. We can gain that knowledge of knowing where we are maturity-wise so that we can help others with that. Each of these stages have needs. And that's what's so important for us to understand these stages and to apply them to our own life so we can go, okay, you know, maybe in one area of my life, I'm more of a child. I kind of feel that way as a parent to my children. <laughs> Sometimes I'm looking at them like, can't you just do this for me so I can get this one thing done and we just not make it about you right now? But in other parts of our lives, we'll see, okay, maybe I am more of a young adult or maybe I am more of a parent. And so it doesn't apply all the way across the board. You're not just a parent at everything you do. Maybe you are. But there could be some areas that God reveals to us and he works through to help us know, hey, we've got some growing to do. We've got some work to do. God's challenging us. He's revealing to us where we may have been in denial and we need to step in to doing the work so that we can experience more growth. It's important for us to know where we are in these stages. So that when we go out and we disciple others and we start having those conversations, we know what we know. It's very dangerous to not know what you don't know. But it's very vital and important and very advantageous when we know what we know and we can help others in growing. You see, my part is knowing that just because I have accepted Jesus Christ, I still have work to do. I still have growth. The Holy Spirit isn't done with us. He loves us right where we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us there. We need to grow and become more like Christ. And in growth, we'll know how we play our part in helping others with theirs. So you probably picked up, we're talking uh, about an, a very critical part of the Christian experience. And it puts us at that unsettled space of, uh, hey, Christ calls me, commissions me to make disciples. It's not all about just uh, growing and, and learning, uh, but it is, it is taking those things that we're learning and those, those ways that we're growing and translating them uh, into everyday life to where we, uh, we find ourselves um, engaging others in relationship and helping them along in the faith. So you've probably picked up that we're, we're talking about making disciples. Not just becoming a disciple, but making a disciple. You, um, you probably know the, the, the show Dancing with the Stars. We've got a, a slide up here. Cheryl and I used to uh, religiously watch Dancing with the Stars not so much right now. We have given up on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, you know the format on the deal. Uh, you have a contestant, a celebrity, if you will, uh, teaming up with a, a professional dancer. And they learn all sorts 
of dances. I would uh, be the first voted off within about that much span of time. Get him off the stage, even after all the work. But that aside, not much uh, on rhythm these days. But, uh, but the, the, the celebrity links up with that uh, professional dancer, and they go through this series of dances, and they're scored, and then they're voted by the, the judges as well as all the, the people who are watching in. Well, you got the, the idea how that goes. My favorite dance of all of them is the tango. It, it seems to be the most complicated. Uh, you've got to be in sync when you're doing the tango. And when you're not doing it very well, you can tell within a second that they are out of sync, to be sure. And it is just as visible for millions and millions of people, at least, as it relates to dancing with the stars. You've got to be in sync. You've heard the, uh, you've heard the phrase, it takes two to tango. You've heard that before. It does take two to tango. And so Ashley's talked about my part, and now I'm going to share just for a couple of minutes here about their part, about the one with whom we are in relationship, the one with whom we are attempting to engage, to, to bring them along to where they uh, are discipled, to where they are, uh, are, are, are clearly beginning to turn their, their sights toward Christ, to where their, their heart is, is bent His way, to where they are beginning to sense that Jesus has been leaning into their lives all along. It takes two to tango. You know, I had a number of uh, weddings this summer. Uh, many of those have been out of town. They have been big deals. I had one yesterday uh, late afternoon uh, in Lexington. It was a big deal. And one of the things that, that happens almost at, at every wedding reception is the, the dance, the dance that every dad dreads, but yet in a, in a way just kind of looks forward to, you know, where they're dancing with their daughter. It's a very emotional moment. But I have noticed as we've gone uh, through uh, these weddings this summer that there has been a lot of intentionality and a lot of sacrifice, particularly on the part of the dad, and a lot of work to be able to uh, accomplish that dance. It takes two to tango. So what about it? You engage another person. Uh, you make those uh, loving efforts to, uh, to, to be in relationship, to lift up the good news of Christ, maybe really even opportunity to engage around Scripture, to, uh, to begin to, to share, hey, Jesus has made a difference in my life, and, and, and just witness to that. And, and, and there's great power in that, but yet sometimes that seems to, to fall on uh, deaf ears. And so I encourage you today that there is a part that the other plays. That other part is in, uh, in, 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 in coming to the dance floor, if you will, or to use a baseball analogy. Got, that person's got to come up to the plate, and we lovingly and, uh, encourage, we, uh, we continue to be present, we continue to pray, we continue to, uh, to share and not be hesitant or cautious to communicate how Jesus is at work in our lives, and how He is making a supreme difference, and He can do the very same thing for you. So, there is a part that the other plays as well. 
And what we do is engage in relationship. What we do is encourage very lovingly. What we do is, uh, is make ourselves open to that other person's life, living the life that is worth following, worth imitating. And from there, we pray that God would be at work. He is with us every step of the way in this stuff of making disciples. So we save the best part for last, God's part. How many of you all love working on projects and finishing those projects? Or you love your checklist and you love checking those lists? I am one of those people. So you raise those hands if you love finishing those things and knowing the result and you know that it's done, woo! And you can go, yes, I feel accomplished. Discipleship is not like that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, discipleship has been one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to do. And the reason for that is because we are more than likely not going to see the end result. And it's because we don't see the work that God is doing. We don't see the end of the plan or the plan that he's got working in different people in different lives. We don't see where the people that we may disciple at one point in our lives, we don't see the other people they're discipling. We don't see the other people they're discipling. We aren't going to really know the end result of the ripple effect that discipleship has on the many, many lives that it carries out through this wonderful multiplication process that we have talked about. And, that's, and it's so important to, to know that God is moving, that God is working. It's important that we know these parts and that we know these different stages. And it's not because we judge or we condemn. It's so that we can help support, that we can encourage, so that we can be, we can be ready to move when God wants us to move. This is so important because God's part is the most important part. God's part is the part that we have nothing to do with. God's part is the part that brings real transformation, real life-lasting change. And we may never see that change in people. We can experience it. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be a little nugget. That's what I like to throw out is a little nugget. Sometimes we'll get a little nugget and go, ooh, yes, that was awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you for that confirmation. Thank you for that affirmation. Thank you for that encouragement. But God's part is where patience comes from, where this whole series, this virtue that this whole series is founded on. We can't rush God. We can't force God. Could you try again? <laughs> Siri's talking to me. We can't make God. <laughs> Apparently Siri really likes God's part too. We can't make God do something or others do something. We have to give room for the Holy Spirit to move, for the Holy Spirit to have space to do what the Holy Spirit does. And we also have to give space and room for those that we are working with. We can't be all up in their face all the time. If we don't see God moving, we can't go, okay, well, I'm going to go do something about it. Because God may want us to be holding back. We've got to stay attuned to what he's doing, always watching, always listening. For when he needs us, not needs us, when he wants us to step in, to be his hands, to say something, to encourage, to share an experience. And by doing that, whenever we do try to rush, when we allow our humanity to take over and we want to take control, well, we'll get in God's way. That doesn't mean God can't fix it. It doesn't mean God's not big enough that he's not going to reroute. But in that case, when those things happen, we need to be open to how God's changing us. 
not only how he's trying to change the person we may be discipling. As disciples, we plant seeds. We throw the nuggets, as I like to say. We share our testimony. We share God's love. We reflect who Christ is as we grow through the different stages. But God is the one that does the plowing. God is the one that does the watering. God is the one who does the growing. And that's where patience comes in, my friends. <laughs> that's where God raises up, raises us up out of the grave and allows us to take part in the great work that he is doing and that we so honorably get to take part in with him. As disciples who have truly experienced his patience in our own lives, where he has been patient with us and slow to anger when we keep messing things up, so that we can allow him his patience to show in those lives of those he is working on. All the while, we stay tuned to God's plan, knowing that he is moving and working, and he's always got something going on. He is working things together for his good. And we allow him to show us when we are to take part in his part. We're challenged to consider those people who are around us that we, uh, we need to lean into in regard to the good news that is Jesus. Those people, maybe, uh, maybe even this challenge to form a group around yourself. Is God leading you to, uh, to lead others to a deeper walk in Jesus? We're talking about making disciples. After all, it's the very thing that Jesus calls us to and commissions us to do, to go, therefore, into all the world to make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who's that person? Who are those people? Who is it that you might form around your life, a life that is worth imitating, a life worth following. As Jesus has worked in you, He seeks to work through you to the end that His kingdom is furthered. Let's pray together. Blessed God, we, uh, we thank You for Your deep and abiding love. We thank You for Your presence in our lives. We thank You that You have uh, seen fit to touch our lives to turn us or revolutionize our lives, to, to make life worth living. Lord, we pray that um, in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move and make us aware of those uh, people around us, maybe even those that we might be able to form around us where we can, can lean in to the good news that is Christ. Lord, um, we pray that we hear your call. We pray that we heed your commission. We pray, Lord, that you raise us up, that you raise us up to be your disciples. Lord, raise us up, we pray, to be those who make disciples. This prayer we make in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, trusting in the power of that name for today's world. Amen.